Nice way to kind of uh, culminate what's been going on already today. The Lord has really been blessing us, I think, in our times of prayer, in our times of intercession, in our times of repentance and confession. And we're continuing tonight to look at this idea of personal revival. That is, reviving an individual personally, even if the assembly isn't revived, even if the city isn't revived, even if the country isn't revived, we can personally be revived if we want to. See? So I want to start in Galatians chapter 5. Now I'm going to go to several scriptures because I'm speaking here primarily to believers, and you all know your Bibles, I think. So I can move along a little quickly and it won't be unfortunate for you. In Galatians chapter 5, which I hope in the will of the Lord to expand upon much, spend much more time on on the Lord's Day, I'm just going to point out something here. This is a chapter 5 and 6 is the outworking of the gospel. I believe this is Paul's first letter. I take the early dating of the writing of Galatians and And Paul outlines here what he doesn't really do. He doesn't really do this again in any other of his letters to the detail he does here. This the key. (laughs) This is the secret to personal revival right here. Walk in the spirit. That's the key. And I'm calling it spirit controlled living based off of not here, but Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, but be ye continuously being filled with the spirit. The the contrast informs us what Paul's trying to communicate. Drunk with wine, the wine controls you, influences you. Instead of the wine controlling you, let the Spirit of God control and influence you. That's what the filling of the Spirit looks like when it works out. And part of that's walking in the... In the spirit. And Paul gives this enormous contrast beginning in verse 19. The works of the flesh. In verse 22. The fruit of the spirit. Notice he uses a different word. When he talks about the flesh. He talks about works. When he talks about the spirit. He talks about fruit. What does that communicate to us? Well. Works is something we do. With our own energy. What we work up. And that's what that whole list shows in beginning in verse 19. What it produces is not anything that is very attractive to the world or to God and not to us either. But the fruit of the spirit, well, fruit can't produce by itself, can it? You can't go out to your apple tree and expect that apple to produce by itself. It's dependent on the tree. The fruit is dependent on the vine, see? So the works of the flesh is independent of God. The fruit of the spirit is dependence upon God. And the outworking of the two, the characteristics is a, you couldn't have a bigger difference. But I just want to focus on one of them right there in the middle of the long list of 17 characteristics he gives there in verse 19, 20, and 21. You notice right near the end of verse 20, selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions. <laughs> I mean, the real the real crux of the problem with personal repentance is S.E.L.F. <laughs> it's that self is the problem, isn't it? And and our Lord tells us what we can do now, just to give you a couple examples, turn here 
from here to Luke chapter 9. And let me just point out to you a couple of ideas here that kind of illuminate what selfish ambition might look like. Just in case we're not familiar with it, maybe you don't have a mirror at home. (laughs) We were talking about mirrors this morning. Maybe you don't have a mirror. If you have a mirror, you know what selfish ambition looks like. But if you don't, the sons of Zebedee give us a great illustration here in Luke chapter 9. You remember our Lord? He's on his march to Jerusalem now. It's less than six months before the cross. And he's going to go through Samaria. Well, of course... They always went around Samaria and even crossed the Jordan, came down the eastern side of the Jordan, then crossed back at Jericho to avoid going through Samaria because the Pharisees said you get contaminated when you walk through that place. And then our Lord wanted to go through there. They did not, verse 53, but they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. You're going to Jerusalem. You're not coming through here then. How would you react? Quick, think. (laughs) How did the disciples react? See, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just as Elisha did. I mean, after all, they're rejecting you. You want us to command fire to come down and consume them? You ever thought that way or even prayed that way? (laughs) With maybe... Unbelievers that have hurt you or hurt people that you care about. It's an easy thing to fall into, isn't it? And I like what our Lord says to them when he rebukes them. Verse 55, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. So we ask ourselves tonight, do we know what manner of spirit we are of? All we have to do is look at that list in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And if we see those things manifesting themselves in our lives in a large, abundant way, well, that means we're living too much in the flesh. But hopefully we're seeing that ninefold list in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 22 and 23, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We see those characteristics. That means we're walking in the Spirit. See, so it's, it's not so hard to figure out. That's something we can do. Just takes a little quiet time and reflection, doesn't it? To look at our lives, look at how we were just a week ago, just the last seven days. What kind of characteristics are we manifesting, right? That helps us to see it. Also, in, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 22, this is kind of sad because it's in the context of the, the Lord's Supper. And the Lord is dealing with his going to the cross and all. And what was it that was on the minds of the disciples at such a time? Well, verse 24, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. (laughs) Which one's the greatest disciple? And beloved, more harm has been done by this kind of attitude in the Christian ministry probably than anything else competing with a brother or sister, competing with the brethren. Selfish ambition, self-promotion, self-exaltation. But that's what our whole world system tells us is the way to go, doesn't it? That's what our whole world system is about. But God's way is totally opposite from that, as we're about to see. 
And our Lord tells them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. See, you're different. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. See, servant leadership. You've heard that term? For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you? I am among you as one who serves. I'm God, and I'm among you as one who serves. So who are we to think as his disciples that we don't serve where to be served? See, that's self again, isn't it? And so I would, I'm suggesting then tonight, as we think about personal revival, in four different ways we can think about this. Regeneration, firstly. And then secondly, participation. Thirdly, appropriation. And fourthly, cooperation. Okay? That's what I'm kind of thinking about. What do we mean by regeneration? Well, we mean, or the Bible means, that we're born again. We're a new creation. And the old has done what? Or what is our relationship to the old creation, the old us, the old who we were? How are we to deal with it? So you turn with me over in Romans to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, you're probably familiar with this. The whole concept of, of uh, knowing, reckoning, yielding. The Lord says, when you were born again, regeneration. That's what the baptism he's talking about here in Romans 6 means. Something, God says, I did something to you and you need to know this. See, the word knowing appears three or four times here. So it's something we need to understand. It's something we didn't understand before without the teaching of the scriptures. And this is why we see so many professing Christians falling so far short of the list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. A lot of it is just lack of understanding. Now, some of it may be just outright disobedience. But what we're seeing, what we've been thinking about in prayer all day today is that God has made a provision for living the new life. He's made, he's made everything we need. We can't blame him if we're failing to do it. And we've been saying that in prayer all day today. It's so true. He's given us everything we need. We have to admit, if there's failure, if we're not living up to what he has called us to be, it's because either we don't understand, right? Or we don't appropriate what we do understand. Or we don't cooperate with the provision he has made. See? So he tells us, knowing that Christ, verse 9. I'm just going to give a couple of verses here just to illustrate the idea. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has, key word in this section, dominion. He's, he uses the word dominion, reign in this section. It's the idea of, of reigning. Death no longer has dominion over him. And death no longer has dominion over anyone who's been baptized into Christ, which is every born-again Christian. You can say hallelujah if you want to. Because death used to have dominion over you and me. 
actually kept us in bondage, according to Hebrews chapter 2. That was a terrible bondage. Christ has set us free. Knowing then that he has done this and that for death, the death, verse 10, that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, therefore, likewise, you also, verse 11, reckon. That's the second idea that he builds off of. Once you understand and know, you reckon, you consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. This is something we do with the help of the Holy Spirit. But we have to reckon ourselves. And how often do we do that? All the time. It's not just one time. It's not just at the point of our conversion that this happens. If we're not doing this on a consistent basis, well, that's why we're failing. See, And that's why we need personal revival. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the happy side of it. There's a negative and there's a positive. You don't just stop with the negative like we looked at on the Lord's Day in the parable of the haunted house. You don't just take out the old and leave a vacuum because the seven demons come back in and his condition is worse than before. You've got to fill with the Holy Spirit. And that's part of when we share the gospel. We need to make sure people know that because the unbeliever doesn't know that. I didn't know that. When I was saved, we, they don't know that. We, that's just where discipleship comes in. So therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. What? You took that verse and went down to one of the popular places where people gather in an immoral lifestyle, there's one right down the street on Pines Boulevard. And you said that to him, oh yeah, impossible. No, but only by the grace of God, by the grace of God, it is possible. Sin no longer has dominion. So death no longer has dominion and neither does sin. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 12 and 13, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness then, but present yourselves to God alive from the dead and your members. That is your body, your personality, your your skills, your talents. You offer it as a free will offering to God. The same word he'll use in chapter 12, verse one. When you understand that God has been merciful to us. The only reasonable response, he says, is to do what? To present ourselves a living sacrifice back to him. And that's something we do. And in verse 2, as we reminded earlier, therefore, we, we allow the word of God. One of the things he's made provision is his word to do what? To transform our minds. To renew our thinking. Because our thinking from our old life is all messed up. It's all messed up. And you aren't going to correct it overnight. So we've got to be patient with each other. And especially with a younger believer, we've got to be patient. But we want to see some steps, markers of progress, right? The Lord wants to see that and so do we. And this is a lifelong process. That word is... In the continuous tense. It's the same way he puts it in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4, he uses a little bit different analogy. There he uses the idea of changing a garment. And he says here that you, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. You put it off like you take off a coat and set it aside once and forever. And if you want to know what the characteristics of that old man are, you can look at Galatians 5, verse 19, 20, and 21. And you look at that horrible list of all those envy and selfish ambition and, and, and all those things, adultery and murders. And verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the same thing he said in Romans 12, too, right? How do we get renewed in the spirit of our mind? The word of God. He tells us that in Romans 12, too. Doesn't he? It's the word of God is the agent he uses. And that you put on the new man, Christ, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he works that out in detail, beginning in verse 25, in very specific areas of sin. Anger. Gossip. Foul use of the tongue. Stealing. Lying, all these kinds. He deals with them according to what he just said. You put off the old, you put on the new, you're renewing your mind. So now you're able to be victorious over these sinful habits that used to dominate us. Isn't that awesome? That's part of what our Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. See, That's part of why God used a cross to do that. So we're saying then the first is regeneration over in first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, a verse that we sometimes think about at the Lord's Supper. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, this is something we can do. Part of the reason why the weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper can be a real asset in our spiritual growth, because it will make us do this. It's supposed to make us do this so we don't eat and drink unworthily, right? With unjudged sin in our lives, sin that we know about, not sin that we don't know about. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be chastised. That's the word he uses in the next verse or disciplined by the Lord. God's saying, just like a parent does to their children, look, you do the right thing and I don't have to spank you and I don't have to ground you. Just do the right thing. Isn't that what you tell them? And then they've got a choice to make in their conscience. They know the difference between right and wrong because they're made in the image and likeness of God. But if it's enlivened by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, that's even better. That's an enlivened conscience that knows the difference. And then we make our choices. God says, if you will deal with the sin I bring to your attention, confess it, forsake it, put it away. When we confess it, we don't just take it back up again. We put it away. And he will do what? Forgive and cleanse. And if you're worried, you say, well, what if I do that sin 70 times in one day? Remember what he told Peter? If he told Peter where to forgive 70 times 7, you don't think he's not going to? He still will, but he still wants us to confess. And because that humbles us, causes us to see the problem and helps us get the victory over it. He's smart, isn't he? He knows how he made us.
So I'm using there the word participation. We participate with him in this process of judging ourselves. And then thirdly, realize the fellowship that we've been called to. And I'm using the word here, appropriation. And that's in 1 John chapter 1. He uses that word fellowship in such a special way here. You know, it's the word we use, Acts 2.42, koinonia. Sharing together in partnership with would be a way to translate that one word. It's a very special word. The idea of community, communion, brotherhood, all of that. It's special. That's what he's brought us into in the family of God. I am my brother's keeper. Cain wasn't his brother's keeper, but we are. In the family of God. And the reason is he tells us here, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We apostles declare to you. You haven't seen and heard. We have. But we declare it to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with whom? The Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So fullness of joy is linked to fellowship with the Father and the Son. And fellowship with the Father and the Son is maintained by walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is enabled by spending time in the Word of God. So I'm seeing here at least five provisions God has made. We've got our Heavenly Father to whom we pray. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name, but he, He tells us to pray to our Father. He's our Father now. We're in a family relationship. We've been adopted as sons into his family. And then we have his son, as he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He's our advocate in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, his son, is there interceding for us. How often? Day and night, according to Hebrews 7.25. Continuously lives to intercede as our high priest. And we have examples of what that looked like in the Old Testament with the Aaronic high priest. That's why those are given. And then we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and is in our midst when we come together. And then we have the Word of God, which is a living, powerful book. It's not just a book of literature like I was taught in school. It is alive and powerful. It says that of itself. Do you believe that? And then fifthly, so I've given you four. You know what the fifth one is? (laughs) The fellowship. Don't forsake the fellowship, beloved. That's part of our strength. When a brother or sister has a stumbling act that happens to them, right? Usually we see the first thing they do is pull themselves out of the fellowship. (laughs) And they're pulling themselves out of one of the five provisions God has made for their strength, not for their weakness. Now that Maybe because the fellowship has mistreated them sometimes, and we have to deal with that if that's true. But Galatians chapter 6, part of that whole section on walking in the Spirit, tells us you who are spiritual, the spiritual ones are supposed to be the ones doing the restoring, not just any brother, right, or sister. And you say, well, what does a spiritual one look like? Somebody that walks around with white clothes on and wears a white hat? You know, how, how, What's the spiritual one? Well, he tells us in chapter 5, the spiritual one is the one who displays the fruit of the Spirit on a consistent basis. <laughs> That's the spiritual one. And if they're not doing that, you don't want them going to that person's house <laughs> to correct them. You want a spiritual one. You say, well, what if we don't have someone like that in our midst? Then pray. 
Because God might be able to use someone in another assembly nearby. You see. Realizing the fellowship we're called to. This is so special. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Beloved, he's not the author of sin then. Because <laughs> sin is darkness. There's no darkness ever at all in him. If there was just a little bit of darkness in him, I couldn't trust him. Could you? He might fail you at the time you need him most. He might throw you overboard. There's a picture that one brother described at a time of revival many years ago, some decades ago. And I think it's a great picture. He said when when he was having a time of fellowship and communion with his Lord, that he said it, he, he imagined it as an experience this way. He said he remembered when he was a young child that he was walking along with his, with his father and holding hands. And they were walking along down the street in a park or something. And he was just enjoying being with his daddy. You know, I mean, just, and he said, and sometimes we, my daddy would stop and he'd reach down and he'd pick me up and he'd give me just a real big warm hug. And then he'd set me back down and we'd take hands and go back walking. He said that's what he pictured what revival is. Our Lord in certain times of personal revival in our lives. It's as if he just takes us up in his arms and lets us know I love you so much. I love you so much. And I'm never going to let you go. I'm going to come after you. (laughs) I'm going to come after you. I may leave the 90 and 90 in the fold and you get lost in the mountains. I'm coming for you. Aren't you glad he's like that? Now, that's fellowship. That's someone I can get close to. See? So I'm using there the word appropriation. That is appropriating what he has already done in bringing us into his family. What are you waiting for? That's what the Switchfoot song says. Walk through that open door. What are you holding back for? You can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat, beloved. Peter would have never walked on water if he didn't get out of the boat. That's a step of faith, though, isn't it? That's what the Lord has called us to. It's special. And then lastly, humbling ourselves like Christ. And here I'm using the word cooperation. So I've said regeneration, Romans 6, Ephesians 4, participation, 1 Corinthians 11.31. Appropriation, 1 John 1. You could put chapter 2 with it. And then cooperation, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You remember how those verses go? Philippians chapter 2. Well, you're probably more familiar with verse 5. Let this mind be in you. You, remember, you know what verses I'm talking about? Let this mind, that is, it's a mindset, it's a thinking, it's an attitude. Let this attitude of mind and thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But just before that, 
He gives certain exhortations to them. And this let this mind be and flows out from those exhortations. He says, therefore, verse one of chapter two, if there is any consolation in Christ or encouragement, you could say, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, same word, fellowship, koinonia. If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being selfishly ambitious. Is that what he says? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Agreeing together, see? Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. But loving, how are you going to get a bunch of people from different ethnic backgrounds, different social strata, different education background, all kinds of careers, all different kinds of lifestyles. How are you going to get them to be of one accord and one mind? There's only one way. By the power of God. By the Holy Spirit, beloved. That's the only way. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about spirit-controlled living. And then he says, and here to me, verses 3 and 4, the answer to where we started, selfish ambition in Galatians 5. Here's the answer. Here's the opposite. Here's the Christian way. Let nothing... <laughs> right? He, he meant some things, probably, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty... All-inclusive word. Let nothing be done through selfish and... Is he picking on you? Somebody said I was stepping on toes a couple of weeks ago in one of the places I was at. You gone from preaching to meddling, brother. He was kidding. But I was. But the Holy Spirit was, I hope. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You just wiped out the whole halls of Congress. You just took away the ambition of almost every president and CEO and all the corporations in America. Because I was taught that way, too, as an engineer. you got to climb that corporate ladder and you step on who you have to to get to the top. No matter about them. Remember what the Lord said to the sons of Zebedee? But it shouldn't be like that among you, see. You are church. You're my bride. You're the body of Christ. That's why CEOs don't make good elders lots of times, because they don't check that business mentality at the door. They bring a lot of money in and, and the other elders like that, because you can re recover the pews and lay carpet and things like that. But that's not the important thing. But in lowliness of mind. One of the most evil words in the, in the world system, in Satan's world system. I mean, Satan is the opposite of what he's describing here, isn't he? Let each esteem others better than himself. This is what it's all about. This is what makes marriages work and families, what we'll look at tomorrow night. This is what makes assemblies work, what we'll look at Thursday night, see. Esteeming others. When was the last time you thought in your own list at home, well, you know, I, I'm taking care of my grandkids. I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of my spouse. Maybe even my nieces and nephews. You know, you get, you get this extended family thing. But when are you doing something outside of that? <laughs> when are you doing something for people that can't pay you back? They're not going to have a party for you. They're not going to send you a card with a check in it. They're not going to send you a Christmas card. 
They're going to forget you. See. That's what the Lord Jesus said to do, didn't he? That's what he did. Let this mind be in you which was in him. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let each of you not only look. We have to look at our own interests. We don't want to be a burden to the assembly. But not only our own interests. See, it's not only, but also the interests of others. Beloved, that that is not natural. We're talking here about supernatural living. The Christian life. Get it out of your mind. It's not natural. When you start, when you come back to me and say, brother, that ain't natural. I can't do that. You don't know my background. That's right. And I don't need to know your background because you're born again. And that background's supposed to be dead. You're a new creation in Christ now. Don't give me that old background stuff. That don't work no more. That worked in psychology, but it isn't going to work in the Christian life. See, you're a new creation now. God can hold you to a higher standard, and he does. <laughs> see, esteeming others better than ourselves. It's supernatural living, spirit-controlled living. And it's what it's about. And as we think about that, I trust that will lead us into personal revival. Into stepping out of that boat. And walking on water with our Lord, as it were. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that give glory to God? Yeah. And may the Lord lead us. And thank you for everyone that's been helpful so far already in setting up the uh, hospitality and all the different things that go along with the things that happened earlier today. It was a really special day. So uh, we'll look to the Lord now to guide us in free will offering prayer. May the Lord guide us.